What's up, Longhorn fans? Broadcasting from the On Texas Football YouTube channel, it is episode number 15 of the award-winning Trey and BK. Coming up today, we try to pick winners for this weekend's NFL playoff games. BK has a lot of catching up to do. Otherwise, he's going to be doing five minutes at an open mic here before too long. And where are we at in society? Sitting used to be the new smoking. Now it's apparently free food in the office. Before that, rat poison was found in a meal at Taco Bell. Did that make it a healthier meal from Taco Bell? And we start by discussing Longhorn Hoops losing in Ames a couple days ago. Now the transfer portal has treated Texas football this year. I am Trey Elling, joined as always by my broadcasting partner in crime. He is the show's free food guy. It is Brad Kellner. What's up, BK? How we doing today? I'm doing well, brother. This is my kind of episode. We're talking about free food and we're talking about Taco Bell, two of my favorite things in the entire world. So I'm uh, I'm ready to go today. Uh, I am as well. It's uh, nice to be back in Austin. Uh, not going to lie, still kind of wish I was in Cabo San Lucas, but that was a lot of fun. So thanks to those who uh, reached out and wished my wife and I a happy anniversary. Those who uh, also wished me a happy birthday too. This is a pretty good year. I'm not a big birthday guy. That's why I got married uh, on my birthday. But uh, this was a good birthday this year. And so uh, thanks to everybody for the well wishes out there. How old are you now? 62, 63? It feels like down? It. Dude, I, I woke up today and took the kids to school at seven o'clock. But I went to bed just before midnight last night, which is a little bit later than I'm used to these days. I had to come back home and sleep for another three hours. So I did feel like an old guy today. I felt like I needed to put my compression socks on before I took the early morning nap. I'm going to see you in the next Copper Fit commercial. Exactly. Perhaps a Viagra commercial before it's all said and done. By the way, one of the most surprising aspects of walking around Mexico, walking around Cabo San Lucas, was uh, not only getting hit up about every 15 to 20 steps to buy cocaine, but the pharmacies there openly advertise selling you steroids, Viagra, uh, Z-Packs, and all sorts of other stuff that you need a prescription, if they're legal at all, to get here in the States. We're doing it wrong here. I might be moving to Mexico as soon as we're done recording today. That is fantastic news. Wow. That is One massive. One of the pharmacies, uh, I guess their mascot was literally some some character with a superhero body and a Viagra pill for a head. <laughs> I was going to say, was it just like a, a little blue pill costume that the guy was wearing? He he was jacked like Superman, and then he, then he had the uh, that blue diamond for a head and a big smile on his face. So I guess yeah, the little blue pill, and then his sidekick was a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> they have a bunch of just bathtubs hanging around over there where you and the missus could uh, get in one next to each other. Uh, no comments there as to whether or not that actually happens during the vacation. All right. Uh, did have a chance to check out the uh, Texas Iowa State game the other night. By the way, we're talking about a top 15 matchup here, and that is forced onto ESPN Plus. Shame on you, Big 12. Shame on you for selling your soul. For a quick buck and having ranked matchups end up on ESPN plus and you could say, well, ESPN plus needs to drive business or ESPN needs to drive business to the, uh, to the digital offering. That's fine. There are games where you can do that, where it's one ranked team and one unranked team. You want as much visibility as possible for those, those games. And you're essentially, uh, you're essentially cutting off your nose to spite your face. 
by allowing that to happen. Now, I know they probably don't have a ton of say-so with regards to where ESPN puts these games, but it is a complete embarrassment when we have these sorts of matchups ending up on the digital-only channel. Agreed. And I'm a huge fan of flex scheduling in sports. You see it in the latter half of the NFL season, right? They'll flex a good game with playoff implications into Sunday night football, and they'll flex a crappy game without them into the noon window. It feels like, and this is a lot tougher with college basketball because there's a million games a night, but it feels like there's a way uh, the Big 12 network could make that happen to where it's like, all right, yeah, we made the schedule before the season and here's what we had planned, but oh my God, this is now a top 15 matchup. Let's let's move this one on the TV. And hey, Bedlam was on ESPNU last night. Yeah, it's a rivalry, way more so in football than basketball, but those are two of the worst teams in the Big 12. Those are two unranked teams that probably are on the outside looking in for the NCAA tournament right now. Maybe put that one on Big 12 now and get this top 15 matchup between two teams that can make deep tournament runs this season on ESPNU or something even better than that. So uh, I get that it's more difficult to do that. The logistics are tougher in college basketball, but man, if they could find a way to make that happen, uh, people would have a lot less right to complain. So it, it does feel shameful that a lot of people weren't able to watch a game as important as, uh, as that one was at Hilton Coliseum last night. I'm with you. And even though the final score was a double-digit deficit for the Longhorns, they end up losing it 78-67. to It was an exciting basketball game throughout. Texas starts the game on fire. Tyrese Hunter loved to see him silence the crowd a couple different times with three-pointers. He had a three-point play in there as well, scoring early on. But unfortunately for Longhorn Hoops, Tyrese Hunter was conspicuously absent for much of the uh, last two-thirds of the game, let's call it. And uh, Texas didn't quite have enough offensively to go along with Iowa State, really getting it done on the offensive end and picking up a big victory for them that saw them uh, move into a tie for first place in what is easily the most difficult uh, college basketball conference in the country. Yeah, we could start with Tyrese Hunter. Uh, Texas needs more from him. Uh, this was not a one-off. I mean, he didn't do anything against Texas Tech in that win against the Red Raiders in Austin this past weekend. Uh, man, for the first, I don't know, five to ten games, it felt like Tyrese Hunter was the best player on this team. It's like, all right, we know what Marcus Carr is because he was here last year. We know what Timmy Allen is because he was here last year. Now you add a guy who was one of the best players in the Big 12 a season ago as a freshman, and, oh, my God, he's taking a step. He's even better. This year, you add him to a very, very talented Texas team and well, it felt like the sky was the limit for him and also this team as a whole. And we've just seen too many uh, inconspicuously bad performances from Tyrese Hunter as yeah. of late. And like you said, he got off to a pretty good start in Ames. You figured he'd be amped up and juiced up to go play his old team. And obviously the crowd was giving it to him every time he touched the ball. Uh, he had it going early, but just kind of disappeared for large stretches of that one, like he has way too often, really, since conference play began. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, he's the closest thing to a true point guard that Texas has on its roster right now. You love him facilitating, but also we know he can be a capable scorer as well. He was instrumental to Iowa State's success and obviously them getting to the Sweet 16 last year. If Texas has second weekend aspirations, which obviously it should, uh, they're going to need a little bit more consistency from Tyrese Hunter. And and I'll tell you what, Trey, just overall, it kind of felt like a shock of smart game for the Longhorns. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they had two seven-plus-minute stretches without a field goal. Like, winning in this conference is hard. Winning on the road is hard. I feel like I sound Tom Her like Tom Herman right now. <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. But it's true. You said it. This is the toughest league in all of college basketball, and it's even tougher to win on the road, especially in a very hostile environment like Hilton Coliseum. It's even tougher when you have two seven-minute stretches without a field goal. 
I mean, you combine those two runs or droughts, I should say, for Texas, 17 minutes and 38 seconds without a bucket for the Longhorns. One of them came in the first half, which allowed Iowa State to get back into the game after Texas built up that 11-point lead. And one of them happened in the second half, which allowed Iowa State to increase what was a close game and turn that into a double-digit final like you talked about. So that shock of smart stuff, man. And we saw that some with Chris Beard last year, but that was a staple of Shaka Smart's tenure in Austin, just ridiculously long droughts without a field goal at the least opportune times. And you can't beat good teams in their barns when you're going to do something like that. That was obviously the difference in the game the other night. Yeah, and that second half drought, it started with a little bit more than 11 minutes left in the game. And it, you said seven minutes. I think it was closer to eight or nine minutes that they went without a field goal before Marcus Carr hits a three from the top and what turned out to be a Texas foul as well. And giving that, getting back to Tyrese Hunter for just a second, I do wonder because it felt like he had the ball in his hands a whole lot more to initiate the offense at the start of the season. Whereas because Marcus Carr has been so good offensively, it seems like he's kind of demanding the basketball to get this team in its offense. And I wonder if that's not throwing, if nothing else, Tyrese Hunter off of his game, if not this entire offense on the whole, because you're exactly right. Even though there was some decent passing happening down the stretch, uh, they weren't getting open looks, and far too often it just felt like a whole lot of dribble, dribble, dribble to let the shot clock wind down, and ultimately you're just having to heave something up that isn't a good look at all, which is very reminiscent of uh, how this offense looked with Shaka Smart far too many times over a half decade. Yeah, and I don't know if it's fair to put all of the blame on Gus Fring for Tyrese Hunter's struggles because he was struggling a little bit before Chris Beard left his post. That's a he very was. nice way of describing what happened mm -hmm. uh, before Chris Beard was forced to leave his post. But it just feels like since then we haven't we haven't had back-to-back -back good Tyrese Hunter performances. And early on this season, against weaker competition, mind you, but even in some of the big games, even against Gonzaga and some of the tough non-con games the Longhorns had, felt like Tyrese Hunter was showing up to play way more often than not. So, you know, I don't know if this is Rodney Terry, a.k.a. Gus Fring, maybe being a little bit lazy, and, and that feels mean, but sometimes coaches like – they know what works and they want to keep riding that as much as they possibly can. And Marcus Carr has been good and Timmy Allen's been good. And those guys were good last year. So we know what they're capable of. Let's just roll with those guys and make them more of a focal point of the offense instead of doing some of the other things. Maybe it's some of that. And I think Dylan Mitchell losing minutes seemingly by the game also has something to do with that, right? Like I kind of want my coach to like leave him out there and find ways to get Dylan Mitchell more involved, but it feels like Rodney Terry isn't doing that because it's not working and he wants to go with stuff that works a little bit. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe some of it's on Tyrese Hunter just needing to be a little bit more aggressive and needing to be more assertive himself instead of just trying to set up his teammates as often as he possibly can. So I don't know exactly where the blame uh, falls right now. Hopefully it's something that turns around and we get more early season Tyrese Hunter moving forward into uh, the latter stages of conference play. Because once again, I think Texas is going to need him. Like uh, this team won a tournament game last year without Tyrese Hunter, but you sort of felt like he and Jabari Rice, who's been amazing. We could talk about him more in a second, but yeah. sort of felt like those two guys, because they were really good last year and because their teams also won in the tournaments, kind of felt like those were the dudes who could help take your team to the next step. Serge Abari Rice has earned his knighting that he got from the Queen a couple of years ago, I guess. Uh, Tyrese Hunter still not quite putting it all together. So those are the dudes that if Texas is going to make it to the second weekend for the first time since 2008, you're going to need those guys to be delivering night in and night out, especially in the month of March. It is silly how good Serge Abari Rice's pump fake is. 
Oh. And I know he's got those long arms and he's got that exaggerated motion. Not to make any comparisons necessarily or turn this into a self-serving show. I had a similarly good pump fake during my basketball. Okay. But uh, I'm a little bit surprised that we're not hearing more about Serge Ibari Rice on the defensive end. He obviously is a very high IQ basketball player and having those long arms and the ability to reach in to swipe steals. I expected to, to hear and see a little bit more about him on the defensive end, but as far as him as an offensive player, they maybe need to consider starting to run a little bit more through him just because he is so good at getting guys up in the air and then driving it to the bucket and either, either having something easy around the basket or somebody has to come over to help, and at that point, he can find an open teammate for an easy flush. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Yeah, he does so many things well. You know, we talked about it last week when we recapped the TCU comeback. Like, just his free throw shooting is amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, to have a guy who shoots nearly 90% at the line in college, to have that in the NBA is a rarity, but to have it at college is once in a blue moon. And he helped ice that game against TCU. He was very good at the line uh, against Texas Tech to make sure the Longhorns preserved that victory in the final minute this past Saturday. So, uh, yeah, he, he does everything right. I'm glad you brought up his defense because I think that's been undervalued as well. And I wonder, Trey, if we get to the point where Serge Barry Rice is inserted into the starting lineup. Hmm. Like it, It's nice having that sixth man, obviously, that guy off the bench with the second unit who can help give you a spark and make some things happen on both ends of the floor. But, I mean, I, I wonder if, like, Dylan Mitchell played 16 minutes uh, and Dylan DeSue played 13, but he was in foul trouble. But Dylan Mitchell's the guy that you would look at. Like, do you go with a little bit of a smaller lineup and just put Serge Barry Rice into the starting lineup so you can get the benefits that he brings to the table right away and for more minutes than you have been? Uh, I wonder if that's a move that Texas considers making because, yeah, Serge Barry Rice has, has easily been one of the best five players on this team. You can make a case he's been one of the best three players on this team. Uh, I wonder if at some point this coaching staff makes the change to put him into the uh, the first five. I think that probably ends up being matchup dependent because you don't want to go too small if a team has a couple of big guys that you're responsible for defending. But I would have no issues with that matchup dependent. And, you know, I guess depending on the game, if you've if you've got one of your guards is uh, dealing with an injury issue or something, maybe he can uh, he, he can help spell that guy by allowing them to play a little bit less while he plays starters minutes. Speaking of Dylan Mitchell and Dylan uh, DeSue as the uh, this team's two starting forwards, I guess when DeSue is out there and you're facing competition that has good physical big guys. DeSue cannot be the guy responsible for defending that big guy. You almost need to have Christian Bishop out there to give him a little bit of relief defensively because otherwise he's just going to end up picking up fouls like what happened in Ames. DeSue, once again, very efficient from the field, but unfortunately he was only able to play 13 minutes because he was in foul trouble for much of the game. Yeah, agreed 100%. Iowa State's big guy kind of got whatever he wanted down low. And this is where he could be critical of Chris Beard's roster construction, right? I mean, from a talent perspective, this is a top 10 roster 
in all of college basketball. I know he tried in the transfer portal to find a big guy, mm -hmm. and it just didn't work out. Those dudes are tough to come by. Their schools usually don't let them leave, and if anybody does enter the portal, uh, everyone and their mother is doing whatever they can to try to bring them to their school. So I know Texas tried. It wasn't for lack of effort, but they just don't have a true five, and they didn't have it last year. And look what happened in the tournament. Like, okay, there's only one Zach Eady in the world, but, like, Zach Eady was a freaking monster, and Texas couldn't defend him without fouling in that second-round game last year. Mm -hmm. And they still, like, the Sioux's healthier this year, but he's, he's still kind of skinny, and he's not as physical as he needs to be to go up against some of the more physical big guys in college basketball, the Edies, the Oscar Sheboys of the world. Like, those dudes are going to eat his lunch. And then Christian Bishop's more physical, but he's 6'7". So yeah. it's like he, he doesn't have the size to run with those dudes on the low block. So, yeah, I mean, Texas was out-rebounded in this game. Iowa State had five more offensive rebounds in this game. Those second possessions proved pretty critical for them as they were kind of distancing themselves in the second half. Like, that's – unfortunately, that's just going to be a problem for Texas. And uh, no disrespect – I do a bad job pronouncing the Iowa State's big guy's name, so I won't even try. No disrespect to him, but, like, he, he's not one of the best in the country. So when you run up against some of the other – better big guys than him it's a, a scary proposition for this texas basketball team because they just don't have the size so we'll see we'll see what happens um you know well i'll say this sort of big picture like we gotta we gotta quit with the major overreaction to rodney terry after every game <laughs> that people are doing and it, it's tough not to right because when you basically have a coaching vacancy like texas does you're you're trying to do whatever you can to fill that vacancy as soon as possible. Whenever you have a question in this life, you want an answer. That's just how the world operates. And right now the Texas basketball coach is a question because we have no idea who it's going to be beyond this year. Like we just, after every win, we can't be like, he's the guy. He's definitely the guy. And after every loss, we can't be like, oh, he sucks. He's definitely not the guy. And it feels like that's happening right now. Like I, I think right now, and I said this right after – the beard thing happened. Like I want to swing for the fences. I want to go for a big time proven head coaching candidate that's out there. But also I understand if Texas goes to the elite eight, Rodney Terry should be back. He's going to be back and he should be back, but you can't, you can't just like, Oh man, we beat Texas tech for the first time in a couple of years. He's got to stay. Well, Tech's zero and six in the big 12. They suck. Everyone's beating them. And then you can't also be like, oh, he lost to Iowa state. Well, Iowa state's a top 15 team and nobody wins at Hilton Coliseum. They haven't lost in that building this year. So it's got to be like you just have to wait to make your judgments with Rodney Terry until the season is over. And I don't think you're guilty of that. I don't think I'm guilty of that. But And it's hard not to be once again, but it just feels like there's so much of that going on after every game. We got to rush to Twitter and say what we think about Rodney Terry on that day. It's just not how this sport should work. Are you trying to tell me that sports fans are prisoners of the moment, BK? <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> Put it on the bottom of a CNN headline. Breaking news. Sports fans are prisoner of the moment. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. That's uh, perfectly said, and you said it in 150,000 fewer words than I did. <laughs> uh, for those wondering about Texas next game, they're actually at West Virginia this weekend. That is a place that has been notoriously bad to this Longhorn basketball team. And I don't really know a whole lot about them this year because I don't follow college hoops a ton outside of Texas basketball. But you were telling me before we hit record that uh, this is not your typical West Virginia team. They are a little bit down this year. So this is a very winnable game for the Longhorns, right? Well, you know, one guy they have, and that's the Texas transfer, Trey Mitchell, who is uh, their second leading scorer and leading rebounder. 
this year. So they've got a couple of holdovers from last year's squad. Yeah, they were really good in the non-con, and they're one and five in Big 12 play. Just shows you how tough this league is. So uh, they beat TCU a couple of the nights ago. Big win for them against a ranked team. We know TCU's pretty good. Uh, they beat TCU in Morgantown. So, yeah, the Coliseum is still a tough place to win. But this is one of the worst teams in the league, record-wise, Trey. And if Texas has serious aspirations of winning this conference this year, I know they did going into the season, and they were picked to finish in the top three in this league this year, uh, this is the type of game you win. You could stomach a loss at Iowa State, but if you're losing uh, to one in five teams in conference play, I don't care where the game is, you got to win. Like Kansas – Kansas went into WVU Coliseum and beat them by 20 a couple of weeks ago. Like Kansas is the, the the staple of this conference. They're tied for first right now, and they had no problems with this team. I don't care if Texas wins by one or 100. Just, just find a way to win because uh, losing games like this, considering how many tough road games Texas still has on its slate, it sort of takes you out of serious contention for uh, winning the league when it's all said and done. You hear that sound, BK? What's that? It's the sound of the transfer portal closing as of Wednesday this week. The transfer portal, guys who want to go from one school or another, well, they're going to have to wait until after spring ball to enter their names in the portal. Now, that's not to say that a guy whose name is in there right now can't go from one school to another, but any new names are going to have to wait a couple of months. And uh, we thought it would be a good opportunity to look at what Texas gained versus what they lost in this year's transfer portal. It was a big plus for Texas football over these last couple of years. And this year, I'd, I'd call it a plus as well, but not nearly uh, as many bodies come in. And I think that's a good thing for the overall health of this roster that Steve Sarkeesian and company aren't feeling the need to go out and get seven, eight, nine different guys. As it stands right now, they got Gavin Holmes, the cornerback out of Wake Forest. Uh, they also get the punter out of Stanford, whose name is escaping me. And uh, gosh, why am I forgetting the third game and third name now? I'm not forgetting the third name. It's Jalen Catalan, the talented safety out of Arkansas. You have three potential starters right there. And when you're looking at the transfer portal, you want guys who hopefully come from making big impacts at, at uh, one FBS school and joining the Longhorns. They got that. And there is a potential for a fourth now, too, with Georgia wide receiver A.D. Mitchell getting his name into the portal before it officially came to a close on Wednesday. And there are a lot of rumblings that uh, Austin is uh, amongst the contenders for his services next year. The guy's name is Adonai. I mean, that's God in Hebrew. You know I want that guy on our team. Uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, hopefully A.D. Mitchell ends up coming to Texas because the Longhorns could use some help on the outside. They're going to get some, you would assume, with Isaiah Naor coming back from his ACL injury. But, uh, man, could you imagine a wide receiver room with with Worthy and Whittington and Naor and A.D. Mitchell plus Jatavion Sanders as your tight end? I mean, that's that's up there amongst the best pass catchers in the country. There wouldn't be any more excuses for Quinn Ewers' inconsistent play if he's got all of those weapons to throw to next fall. So, yeah, I would love to get A.D. Mitchell. He's actually born in Missouri City in the Houston area, played his high school ball in Tennessee, so moved at some point in his childhood up there, but has been on both of Georgia's national championship teams. His numbers this past season, not super sexy, but he only played half the year. I think he played six games had a sprained ankle, which lingered for a lot longer than he or anybody at Georgia wanted to. But he was big in the playoff, scored a touchdown in both of Georgia's wins uh, over Ohio State and obviously in that beatdown over TCU. 6'3", 6'4", he's got size. Uh, he's got some skins on the wall as well. Yeah, he would be a big-time 
addition to this Texas offense next season. Would love to have him. And he's a guy who has scored a touchdown in every single one of Georgia's playoff games over these last two years. So he has four touchdowns in four games. And so he's a guy who makes it happen when it matters most. And you can't have enough of those types of guys on your roster. And for a Texas team that it looks like they are going to spread it out a little bit more this next year and uh, focus more on that passing attack is that ground game uh, recovers from the loss of Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, uh, having more guys for Quinn Ewers to uh, have the option of throwing it to, especially due to her this talented. You mentioned his size, got great athleticism to go along with that, uh, that six, four frame, 190 pounds uh, as it stands right now, according to uh, the on three database. Uh, yes. Uh, sign me up, please for 80 Mitchell services and look, you don't want to speculate too much, but obviously there's been a lot said and wondered about with Xavier Worthy going back to the end of the regular season after his uh, up and down performance in the Alamo Bowl. If Xavier Worthy decides after spring ball that he does want to play his 2023 season someplace else, you have a bit of an insurance policy with A.D. Mitchell there now. Even though they're different types of wide receivers, having that extra option in the receiver room would make a loss like that uh, much easier to pallet. Yeah, nice of you to call Xavier Worthy's bowl performance up and down. Uh, I didn't see too many ups in that game. I just saw the ball going down to the ground after it went through his hands a whole bunch of times. Uh, I, I, I might be in the minority here, but like I, I want Xavier Worthy back. But we, we don't know. I mean, there were rumors right after the regular season ended. There were rumors after the bowl game. The Instagram stuff obviously freaked some people out. You know, I, I think the fact that he changed his number, like, I, why would you do that and then leave a couple of months later? But it's college football in 2023, so who really knows what's going on? Uh, you're right. It would be an insurance policy, but the hope is it's an addition to what Texas already has in that wide receiver room. I know Worthy had a down year last year, but – this is money time next season, like not NIL money. We know he's taken care of on that front. But like this should be his last year in college football. Uh, no one's dream growing up is to stop after college. They want to play on Sundays. And man, after a freshman, if Xavier Worthy could have gone, he would have been a higher draft pick than he would right now because he didn't have a good sophomore season. So I, I hope that he realizes that he can be successful at Texas because he was his freshman year and that he's got to put it all together and be laser-focused on having a good season because if he can, and if he does, he could be a first-round pick in next April's NFL draft. So hopefully you get A.D. Mitchell in here in addition to Xavier Worthy because uh, that that would make this Texas wide receiver room amongst – I haven't done all of my research yet. Phil Steele hasn't released his magazine, but that would uh, put Texas's wide receiver room right there in the top three or five, you would think, going into 2023. I would imagine that the Texas coaches and uh, the strength and conditioning coaches and those who are around the uh, the offseason program are paying close attention to just how locked in mentally Xavier Worthy is. And if he's somebody who uh, seems like his mind is in other places, like a lot of people are saying in retrospect now, he didn't seem like he was completely locked in during the 2022 season. Maybe you're not encouraging to go someplace else, but you understand exactly what you're working with and making sure that Quinn Ewers isn't going feast or famine with regards to just pumping the football in his direction when there are plenty of other really good options on this roster, especially with Jordan Whittington coming back. Yeah, yeah your program, like Sark, I guess, is the face of the program because he's the head coach, and that's usually how it works in college, different from the NFL because guys just aren't there as long. But, I mean, your, your program success is centered around Quinn Ewers and then Arch Manning. So you want to make life as easy as possible for those dudes and bringing in as many skill position players as he possibly can does just that. So 
yeah, hopefully they keep Worthy and bring Mitchell in. And then regards to the other three guys, I'll give Ryan Sanborn some love. Thank you. That's, That's his name. Punter. See, I was Tom Herman earlier by saying winning is hard, and you were Tom Herman there by calling him the punter instead of calling him by his actual name. And that was not an intentional slight like Tom Herman seemed to uh, try. And by the way, he was doing that with Michael Dixon, by the way, a guy who was bowl game MVP for their Texas Bowl win in Tom Herman's first year. I have a genuine respect for punters. Uh, his name is just not locked into my head just yet, even though it's a much easier name than the Iowa State Center that neither you or I are going to try to pronounce. Yeah, I think Ryan Sanborn is a better punter than what Texas had, but his yeah. name doesn't hold a candle to Danny Trejo. Oh, who is our I hate that he went by Daniel. I mean, it's it's his call, I guess. But come on, Danny, like you have the chance to be Danny Trejo, be Danny Trejo. And he didn't do it. Maybe that's why he wasn't that good of a punter. But uh, no, I like Machete. him. Yeah. Oh, my God. Machete, don't kick. He punts. Punchete, uh, don't kill. He punts. Yeah, there you go. So I like him. He's going to start. Uh, Gavin Holmes, I think, is going to start. And Jalen Catalan, we talked about him, what, last week or two weeks ago. Everybody knows how good he is. He's just got to stay healthy. And if he can't stay on the field, then he could be an all-conference, maybe even all-American type of player. So, yeah, uh, the Longhorns to this point have done a pretty good job in the transfer portal. I think I would prefer more. Like I, I agree with you. The fact that Texas only has gotten three guys out of the portal so far tells you that this roster is in pretty good shape. But, like, you know, plug your holes. I know you've recruited incredibly well, but if you've got the chance to upgrade uh, and, and not bank on a freshman – having to play as much, go do that. I get it's easier said than done because every other school in the country is going after the best players in the portal, but I wouldn't have a problem if if Texas ended up with uh, at least a couple of more guys from the portal when spring football is over after they realize that, okay, maybe these dudes aren't as good as we initially thought. Yeah, let's see if they address the edge, linebacker, and then also running back positions. I think you could add depth at all three of those positions, if not finding a potential starter uh, for those spots on the defensive side of the ball. Agreed. All right, Xavier Worthy and Quinn Ewers, they are big Sonic guys, BK. I don't know if they're big Taco Bells, Bell guys, but I would imagine that most Taco Bell people are a little bit less likely to, what do they call What do the kids call it, the schneeze? The, sh the schneid, what, what are they calling it these days? I don't know what you're trying to say. Uh, anyhow, there's a nickname for Taco Bell that I, I cannot recall right now, but I'm imagining that folks are a little bit le less likely to go grab a meal from Taco Bell after uh, this horrific story has surfaced over the last couple of days. I'm not cool enough, I guess. I don't know the nickname to I've Taco Bell. I've heard you Bell. say it before. The schneeze? The schneeze? The schneeze. There we go. Is that it? I think that's it. Is that still a thing? Even Kevin Dunn was calling it the schniz the other day. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Does that mean it's more of a thing or less of a thing? <laughs> I don't know if that's helping your argument here, sir. You may be right about that. Uh, well, some people call Taco Bell Taco Hell, Trey. And uh, this Colorado man was apparently living in Taco Hell over the weekend. 
Um, there's an investigation underway in Colorado after a man consumed Taco Bell that authorities say was laced with rat poison. Oh, according to local reports, the man became violently ill Sunday night around seven o'clock after he ate burritos from a Taco Bell location in Aurora. And here's a quote from a deputy from the Arapahoe County Sheriff's Office. Quote, right now, what we're looking at is if the rat poison was actually put into his food at the restaurant. We don't know if it was at this point in time. End quote. But they were talking about this dude's life being at risk because of what he consumed. And as of now, like this is an open case. I mentioned there's an open investigation. This is being classified as a criminal attempt homicide for this guy. So here's a little background for you. It's like, okay, criminal attempt homicide. Why could it be that? Like, could it, could it have just have been a mistake? Uh, it's obviously a, a very bad one and Taco Bell would be in trouble. Even if it was just somehow, some way rat poison ended up in some of their dog meat or whatever the hell that that meat is made of. But apparently for a little background, the victim swung by that same Taco Bell earlier that day and got into an argument with workers over his food order. Oh, gosh. He was pissed that the drink station wasn't working properly, and he demanded something free. (laughs) So what happened was this guy ordered food from Taco Bell, ordered three burritos, and they gave him a fourth one. And the belief is, or at least the thought is, it was the fourth one, the free one that he was given that contained the rat poison. So he's basically insinuating that one of the workers had rat poison on them. And because the customer was yelling at him or her, uh, they decided to throw the rat poison into one of the burritos. Look, if you're raising hell at a fast food restaurant because something isn't working perfectly, you're a pretty big loser. And I'm not saying that the low-paid employees who are likely making something just above minimum wage should poison you with what it is that they're using in the kitchen to kill rats. But you have something coming your direction. So I would be very careful about that. And if I were him, what's that? Go ahead. If I were him, I would probably have taken those four burritos and gone to a different Taco Bell and thrown that entire bag away. (laughs) You have to understand... This is the food service industry regardless. Like if you're at a sit-down restaurant and you're being a world-class POS, so the person who's responsible for taking your order and serving your food, man, they they do not care. They will find some way to get you back and it will almost always involve your food. Yeah, that's why I'm as nice as possible to restaurant workers and fast food workers whenever I can be. I don't want to take any chances. And hell, there's still a chance that somebody at Taco Bell might be spitting in my burrito or putting some of their own personal Diablo sauce in there. But I try to minimize those chances as much as I possibly can. I'm always nice because, yeah, when we're talking about food, I don't want anybody messing with that type of stuff. No, all right, uh, BK, that's uh, that's horrible. So, are you going to go to Taco Bell now that you know that the potential is there for your uh, for your food to be laced with rat poison? So, so I wonder, like, does every Taco Bell location have rat poison lying around to kill the rats, or was this like a, just an employee who had this stuff for some reason? My guess is yes. Those rats, uh, those rats know where to go to get the goods, and so rats are going to congregate 
yeah, in the kitchen I'll... or back area of a Taco Bell. So yes, rat poison is probably readily available in corners of Taco Bell kitchens. And rats have great taste in food. I think we all saw that Disney Pixar movie from a few years ago, Ratatouille, which is based <laughs> on a true story. That guy was a chef, meaning that all rats know what good food is. So that's why they're spending a lot of their time at the Taco Bell. So to answer your previous question, Trey, yes, I will continue to eat at Taco Bell because the rats know what's good. Well, maybe Taco Bell has uh, shifted into a model where their meat comes from free-range rats who are allowed to roam for, allowed to roam freely in their kitchens. Wow. So they roam freely for a while, and then you know you have to pick a rat to to get more meat, and so you you find the the fattest rat who has who has uh, been uh, been doing its thing for several months and send it over to the rat poison corner, have it croak, and then. <laughs> You got the next. You got the next couple hours of burritos meat. You know the rat poison corner. Yeah, instead of a wet floor sign, it says "caution rat poison corner" <laughs> in one of the areas of the Taco Bell. That's good. I like that theory. A couple places in Cabo San Lucas who may have one of those corners too. <laughs> I believe that. All right, you and I have uh, worked in radio for long enough to know that uh, amongst the uh, the benefits of radio are way too much free food bring being brought your way and oftentimes because it is free food it's food that tastes pretty good and is not all that good for you uh breakfast tacos are a popular thing here in austin and barbecue and uh definitely a whole lot of sweets as well well the health authorities in great britain have just made a proclamation with regards to some of the free food that we are accustomed to in the office setting. Because it's not just a radio thing. People love to bring free food in to show some sort of appreciation for their fellow co-workers, apparently, uh, or sometimes the management does so as well. Well, UK's health authority is saying that bringing cake into the office is as harmful as secondhand smoke. It's as bad for your health as sitting next to somebody in an enclosed room, breathing in their secondhand smoke. What? How often are people bringing cake into offices these days? I'd say once or twice a week. And oh, I mean, if you eat like one or two pieces of cake a week, you're not going to die. Like if someone's just constantly smoking lung darts right next to you uh, on repeat multiple times a day, then okay, that's going to actually cause some health problems. But one to two pieces of cake a day? Like that's or a week, not even a day. Come on, that's not going to do any harm. That's uh, going to do some harm, especially because most people are are probably overloading calorically already. But Professor Susan Jeb, who is the UK's Food Standards Agency chairwoman, said workers should think twice before bringing unhealthy treats into the workplace, which might tempt colleagues. Quote. We all like to think we're rational, intelligent, educated people who make informed choices the whole time, and we undervalue the impact of the environment. If nobody brought cakes into the office, I would not eat cakes in the day. But because people do bring cakes in, I eat them. Now, okay, I've made a choice, but people were making a choice to go into a smoky pub. With smoking, after a very long time, we've gotten to a place where we understand that individuals have to make some effort, but we can't make their efforts more successful by having a supportive environment. We still don't think like that about food. So she's saying, willpower be damned. If the cake is brought into the office, it's no longer your, uh, no longer your fault if you go and, and jam a piece or two into your pie hole in the afternoon as you're starting to feel that, uh, that mid-afternoon swoon. 
That's ridiculous. Have some self-control. Everyone working in these offices are adults. They can decide for themselves if they want to eat the piece of cake or not eat the piece of cake. And if they do, it's on them to make sure that they're exercising or controlling the rest of their diet when they're not in the office to make sure that they don't die or get type 2 diabetes or something like that. I mean, just... Imagine with all the people I've been through over the last couple of years, you're going back to the office for the first time in two years against your will. You're waking up two hours earlier every day. You've got a two hour round trip commute to get to your office. You sit at your tiny little desk in a cubicle where your boss just yells at you all day. And then you get an email that says we have banned cake from the office. I mean, haven't we been through enough as a society to deal with cake being banned? Like one of the good parts of going in to the office is free food, whether it's cake or breakfast tacos or anything else that you talked about. And now we're going to ban that stuff. Like one of the perks of going to work. Give me a break, man. We've all been through enough in this world. Screw this woman. Yeah. Professor Jeb also went on to blame everything else except the individual by uh, saying that junk food advertising is a big problem as well. She said these ads are undermining people's free will and insisted that ad restrictions are not about the nanny state. Quote, advertising means that the businesses with the most money had the biggest influence on people's behavior. That's not fair. At the moment, we allow advertising for commercial gain with no health controls on it whatsoever. And we've ended up with a complete market failure because what you get advertised is chocolate and not cauliflower. So uh, get ready, BK. We uh, may be right around the corner from uh, some... Uh, cauliflower florets replacing uh, those Tiff's Treats cookies in, Austin, uh, in offices all over the Austin area. I'll tell you what, I'm quitting my job if that happens where <laughs> I work. I mean, I can't do that anymore. If I get an email, I don't even read my email anyways, but if somebody tells me that I got an email that says cake or delicious desserts or treats have been banned from the office and instead we're replacing them with cauliflower, mm. I'm out, dude. I can't do that anymore. What does this woman look like? Do we have a picture of her? Mm, is she just see. like, is she just overweight and it's everyone else's fault that she's fat? Oh, is gosh. that what's going on here? That's a strong possibility. Let me look up on my phone so that I can show you and the people if there is a, a, uh, a photo here. Like based on. Okay. So she is not fat. She is not fat, but okay, yeah, uh, like based on her job title, you would be led to believe that she's not big, but based on what she's saying, you would. Yeah, she sucks. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there she is. Yeah. Well, she at least walks the walk. She at least walks the walk. She's not jamming her pie hole full of cake. I mean, do they need more pub or more money? Is that why she's doing something like this? Is this a Stephen A. Smith bit where you just have to have a super hot take to get people talking about your business again? You What's already don't have here? much respect for my opinions on things, but I know that uh, I go to a ridiculous extreme when it comes to the dietary stuff. She has a great point. She okay. does. No, and sure. I get that the individual is responsible for making that final call, but if the temptation isn't there, then you don't have to make a decision. Now, I still fault the individual more than I do any person who decides to have Tiff's treats delivered into an Austin, Texas office, by the way. Speaking of unpopular opinions... I think Tiff's treats should be banned from Austin, Texas offices, not because of the negative health impact, but I think that Tiff's treats is one of the most overrated things by this city. I understand it's a good idea. Those warm baked cookies in an office setting, they taste delicious. Those are half cooked cookies that you're getting from Tiff's treats though. You eat two or three of those things. You're going to be sick to your stomach for the rest of the day. Yeah, but it feels so good. 
and it tastes so good. In the moment, it does. You're right about that. They're the best. Saying no to cookies. It's a bad take. You're about to get berated in the comments for saying that, and deservedly so. Well, uh, I know this much. As much as I'm going to get berated for my uh, Tiff's Treats take and for my uh, take on sweets in the office in general, I can feel pretty good about the fact that I have been better than you as it pertains to picking winners versus the spread in football games this year. We are another week into our season-long bet, and I somehow picked up a game this a game this last weekend, despite the fact that, let's be honest, you should be the one picking up the game right now. I got completely lucky with that Jacksonville win. The fact that the Chargers are coached by Brandon Staley, and that guy couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag. Jacksonville comes back to not only cover, but ultimately win that football game, and therefore I have picked up another game in the standings. I'm up five right now, BK. I'm sorry, I'm up four right now, BK. Uh, so you have a limited amount of time to uh, to pick things up. And I'm wondering if we shouldn't start to include the over-unders for this game, just to give you a little bit more of a chance, because at some point, by the time we get to the championship round of the Super Bowl, you're not even going to have a chance, regardless of whether or not you pick uh, differently from me and actually happen to win that one. We got seven games left, so... We'll roll with the four this weekend, normally. Okay. And if you're up for it, if you're willing to throw me that bone, like I threw you the 12-game bone a couple of months ago, which has really come back to bite me because I think I'd be winning or at least very close to it if I wasn't such a good guy. Uh, it's the difference right now. It is literally the difference yeah. right now between us being tied and me leading. So, yeah, well, we can discuss that next week, but hopefully uh, – Hopefully me fading you again this week does me a little bit better. All right. If you do lose, you do have to find an open mic to perform stand-up comedy. Open give me the rad poison instead. Three to five minutes. <laughs> and we start with the Saturday games. First one up is Jacksonville at Kansas City. Trevor Lawrence went from just complete failure in the first half of last weekend's game to hero. Jags are eight and a half point dogs heading into uh, a matchup with a team that a lot of people are picking to win this year's Super Bowl. Even though the Chiefs are eight and a half point favorites, BK, and I don't think Jacksonville is going to win this game necessarily. I actually do think they keep it within a touchdown or maybe a touchdown or less. So give me Jacksonville to cover here, which I know is going to be music to your, to your ears. You're not only a big Chiefs fan, but you have a lot of belief in this team too. Yeah, but they haven't been covering big numbers this year. You know, the Chiefs had the best record in the NFL this season or tied with Philadelphia for the best record in the league. And uh, they were one of the worst teams against the spread this year. So I, I'm going to fade you because I, I need to, to make up games and betting against the chiefs at home is not a bad recipe, but uh, in real life, like I, I'm with you. I think Jacksonville keeps this one pretty interesting and uh, they keep it within eight and a half, but for the sake of uh, sake of our picks, I'll take uh, the chiefs at home land points. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
The uh, Sunday or Saturday late afternoon game is a uh, really good NFC East matchup. Philadelphia, which of course was on by this last weekend, is that number one seed. Faces a Giants team that all of a sudden has a ton of love with the national media. I said this a couple months ago, and I continue to be wrong about this Giants team, BK. I picked against them last week, and they cost me by winning that game outright. And uh, so now I'm going to have to try and fade myself once again. I feel like Philadelphia is going to win this game pretty easily. Uh, They needed the rest to help get Jalen Hurts' shoulder a little bit healthier, as well as to uh, help that defense out just a little bit. And so I think Philly is going to win this one by double digits. But because of that, I'm fading myself, and I'm going to pick the Giants to cover. I don't think they're going to win the game outright, but it also wouldn't surprise me. Daniel Jones has been playing great football. They didn't need too much out of Saquon Barkley this last weekend. Brian Dayball, I don't know if there is a better candidate for head coach of the year in the NFL this year. He is legit, and he is a big reason why uh, they've made it to this point in the year. So I'm going to take the Giants to cover that seven and a half. Yeah, these are two of the top candidates for coach of the year. Boy, there are a bunch this year. I mean, Doug Peterson in Jacksonville – Uh, Kyle Shanahan with all of the quarterback injuries in San Francisco. Those guys obviously in the mix as well. Uh, But yeah, Dayball and Sirianni have done tremendous, tremendous jobs with their rosters this season. Uh, I'll fade you. I'll take Philadelphia. Um, Philly's just way more talented in every facet. If you go like box by box, like position by position, it feels like Philadelphia has the edge just about everywhere in this game. Um, They beat the Giants by 26 in the regular season. The second time around, week 18, the Giants didn't play anybody, and the Eagles did, and it was a lot closer than that. But uh, Philly with the rest, they're as healthy as they've been in a while. I think Jalen Hurts is close to 100% as he's been in a while. I will take the uh, the Eagles and the uh, seven and a half. Get a rematch of that game that was stopped by DeMar Hamlin literally dying on the field. The Bengals at the Buffalo Bills. The two hottest teams in football, both with, uh, I think one has an eight-game win streak, the other has a nine-game win streak with the Bengals uh, being the team that's won nine straight. And I would actually pick Cincinnati for the upset here. Buffalo's favored by five and a half. Cincinnati's dealing with entirely too many injuries on that offensive line. I think that Buffalo does get a boost from Hamlin, not only being back in the uh, building on a day-to-day basis, he may actually be on the sidelines for this game on Sunday afternoon. So give me Buffalo to cover the five and a half. All right. Uh, I think it's wrong team favored here. Uh, I I understand the concerns with the Bengals offensive line. Having three starters out is very far from ideal. Uh, The Bills don't have Vaughn Miller. I think my pick would be different if he was a part of things. But I just think of last year, like the Bills won two road, excuse me, the Bengals won two road playoff games en route to the Super Bowl. So they're not going to be phased by the environment. And the Bengals offensive line stunk last year and they still found a way to get to the Super Bowl. So, uh, yeah, I can't believe this line is going in favor of Buffalo. Just because the, I mean, neither team looked great last week, but golly, Skylar Thompson almost beat the freaking Bills in their house uh, last Sunday. So uh, I'll take the Bengals. I think it's wrong team favorite. I think Cincinnati gets back to the AFC Championship game for the second straight year. Yeah, it's hard not to wonder if that Bills uh, team wasn't looking ahead just a little bit. But then again, the offense was good. And Josh Allen, I don't, I won't say he's taken a step back this year, but he's he's taken a step sideways where he's looking a little bit more like college Brock Purdy where he just has like three or four inexplicable moments each and every game now where it feels like those could be game-changing turnovers. And that hasn't cost this team too much over the last couple of months, obviously, with them continuing to win football games. But if that surfaces and those weird plays start to turn into uh, interceptions or fumbles or uh, plays where the defense gets the ball back for the offense, then watch out. And the final game on Sunday night, man, this is a fun matchup. 
old school rivalry going back into the 1980s and 1990s, the Dallas Cowboys at the San Francisco 49ers. You talked about it last week, BK. Dallas hadn't won a road playoff game since in San Francisco in the early to mid-1990s. And here they are with a chance to win two in a row now on the road in these playoffs. 49ers, four-point favorites. You know how I feel about this San Francisco team. I had to stop betting against them, I want to say, two months ago now, and I've only won with them since then. So give me the San Francisco 49ers to cover that four. I can't fade you on this one. Uh, I know what the Cowboys did on Monday night was very, very impressive. And say what you will about Tampa Bay, their defense was a top 10 unit in football this season. And Dak Prescott and company torched them, and they got whatever they wanted in that game. Everybody on the Cowboys played well except for the freaking kicker. That was about as dominant of a performance as any Cowboys fan could have hoped for going in. But San Fran's a different animal, man. They, they just are. It's the best defense in football uh, in terms of points per game and in terms of yards per game. And it's like everyone's waiting on Brock Purdy to have that moment where he looks like Mr. Irrelevant, a seventh-round rookie. And maybe that happens this week. But, you know, like uh, how many playoff games has Kyle Shanahan won where Jimmy G didn't do anything? Mm -hmm. it's not like he was carrying them to those deep playoff runs in years past. It was the run game and the defense. And that's what beat the Cowboys last year in Arlington. And they didn't have Christian McCaffrey on that team a year ago. Now they do have him. So like, even if Brock Purdy takes a step back uh, and struggles a little bit on Sunday, I just think the Niners taught the bottom are too talented. Uh, I'm surprised this line is as close as it is. I think it's a little bit of an overreaction based on what happened last week. So needless to say, as a Cowboys fan, I hope I'm wrong on this one, but, I think uh, San Francisco is going to win, and I think they're going to win by double digits, truthfully, Trey. Yeah, the San Francisco defense is really good. If they do have a weakness, it is teams' ability to throw over the top at times, which Dallas is obviously capable of. So if they can hit a couple of those shots over the top early on and keep it a close game into the second half and force San Francisco to maybe throw the football a little bit more than they want to down the stretch, because Dallas's defense is obviously no slouches either, then uh, they could pull off the upset. But ultimately, I agree with you. Here's the thing, though, and I know I just mentioned this with Josh Allen and making that comp to college Brock Purdy. I realize that we're dealing with playoff Purdy now, a guy who has not lost an NFL start just yet. He has it in him, though, in pressure situations to just make really bad decisions with the football in his hands. And it hasn't happened yet at the professional yeah. level. And that's completely shocked me. And that's a big reason why, by the way, because he was a good quarterback for – four years in college, why he wasn't selected any hires because teams looked at his decision-making and realized he's a guy who could completely hamstring his team by just, just suddenly throwing the football behind him or just letting it go unexpectedly on, on a rush. He has avoided those plays up to this point, and it's part of the reason why he seems to have a secure hold on that 49ers quarterback job. Yeah, what the Big 12 title game a couple of years ago against Oklahoma, just like an inexplicably bad interception when they were driving the football. Yeah, look, the Cowboys' defense is second best to San Francisco in terms of DVOA this year. So it's far and away the toughest defense Brock Purdy's gone up against. Cowboys are going to need takeaways, and they can't miss tackles because that's how the Niners turn their offense, which leads the league in rushing, but also leads the league in explosive plays, which is a freaking miracle, and it shows you how much of a genius Kyle Shanahan is. Uh, That's how they turn those five-yard runs into those 60-yard runs, and all of a sudden you're playing catch-up. So, yeah, takeaways, that's going to be huge. The Niners 14-0 this year when they tie or win the turnover battle. They're 0-4 when they lose it. There's your recipe for for, uh, an upset this weekend. Great stuff as always, BK. Thank you. You too, brother. 
And thanks to you for watching and checking us out. If you are just listening to the podcast right now, if you are on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the On Texas Football YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. And if you enjoyed this episode, do click that thumbs up button. For Brad Kellner, I am Trey Elling. We'll talk to you next Friday. In the meantime, have yourselves a great weekend and hook them.